What's up, everyone? This is Yanksko talking. My name is Jake, and I'm here with my co-host, aspiring astrophysicist and resident soccer nerd Tom. We are the show that dives deep into all things U.S. soccer and MLS. Today, we have an incredible guest joining us for an interview, Filippo Silva, who has over 600,000 views on his soccer-dedicated YouTube channel. But before we get to his hot takes on U.S. soccer and our summoning circle for Ethan Horvath, we have an action-packed show for you today. Tom and I are going to cover what World Cup qualifying looks like for the U.S. and pick some home stadiums to disrupt our CONCACAF opponents in, and then pick on Mexico and Canada for having to bring their best teams to the Gold Cup after an already grueling summer of soccer. So, are you ready to talk U.S. soccer? Let's get into it. A lot of stuff to talk about. Absolutely. I do think uh, I want to call out our listeners first and foremost. I I saw some stats on Spotify that 100% of the subscribers are male and their favorite artist is Taylor Swift. So shout out to all the Swifties out there. (laughs) I think you need to tell your sister to subscribe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I need to get her subscribed so we can actually get some diversity <laughs> built up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, all right, all you Swifties out there, we're going to turn our attention to the World Cup qualifying for the U.S. men's national team. Tom, what does it look like now that we have three games in a World Cup qualifying window? It's going to be a beautiful mess. All of World Cup qualifying is just going to be beautiful mess. No one knows how it's going to go because these windows are going to be tight. They're going to be insane. There's going to be a lot of soccer played against good teams. So we're, we're going to see how it goes, but it's going to be fun. We should get excited because the qualifying the qualifying schedule is now set. We know all eight opponents, when they're going to be played, where they're going to be played. We don't have venues yet, but we at least know the countries that we're going to be in and when we're going to be there. So I, I'm excited to see what happens, but we've never done this before. So what are your thoughts? I love the Ocho. I think it's a great format, Mm. brings a few more teams into the fold. And I'm really just excited after the Nations League, the Gold Cup coming up. I think there's just some momentum building up. It's not Mm. as big as kind of 2009 and then 2010 for the Confederations Cup and then the World Cup. But it kind of has that feel of like there's a wave of young talent. We've just beaten Mexico in a big tournament and we have the Gold Cup coming up. This qualifying schedule is absolutely blistering on any of the the players and their stamina we're probably going to go we're going to need to go deep in our roster play with all 23 players in the three games that we have and i i love that we have two additional teams than we usually have just to make it a bit more diverse in where we're traveling who the other teams have to play against as well i think we're going to focus a lot obviously on the us their schedule you know, what the easier windows are, what the harder schedules are. I think it's also good to remember that all of the other teams in in this format have to go through the same exact position that we do. So how deep is everyone's benches? How deep is everyone's teams? And what's the strategy around, you know, using your best team versus the maybe the the team that you think you'll win against the most in that window? Yeah, there's some really interesting chess match type dynamics to all of this that are going to be, no one really knows how they're going to play out because, you know, do you prioritize the U.S. if it's your hardest game or do you concede those points or how does every coach decide to play? And I think each one will do it differently. And it's, it's going to be really, really weird to see how it actually goes. But I'm excited because some of these teams have not actually gotten a chance to play in the hex for 
decades. And so getting a chance to qualify for the World Cup and fight through these meaningful games will be really cool to see. And it's a good thing for CONCACAF. Do you think there's an easier and harder window? Yes, there is absolutely an easiest and hardest window for the U.S. Which ones are those for you? For me, the easiest window is actually our opening window. Actually, scratch that. I'm going to give it to the January window. Our January window, we host El Salvador. We then go to Canada in January, and then we host Honduras. Now, January away in Canada is brutal, but getting two Central American teams in the U.S., preferably in some place pretty cold, is going to be nice. And Canada away is not the same thing as playing a match in, let's say, somewhere in Central America away. So I think that that is definitely a window where we can expect to pick up points and to pick up a lot of points. The hardest window is the March window. Jake, have you seen the March window yet? Yeah, it's the last window that the U.S. has. I think they're away to Mexico, home to Panama, and then away to Costa Rica. Those two away games are going to be killer. And if we need points to qualify automatically in the first three spots, that's not a position I want to be in if I'm a U.S. fan, and I am. So <laughs> I don't want to be you know, having those heart palpitations going into the March window. I want to have that uh, place in the World Cup just secured and locked in by the time we're in March. Yeah, I agree. I think we really do have 11 matches to secure the points we need because I do not want to be going down to the Azteca needing points, especially yeah. against a very angry Mexican team that we just really pissed off less than a month ago. Where do you think we should host some of our qualifiers? Are there specific teams that you think would you know, do better or worse in cold and warm climates? Yeah, I think so. I think that, it, you know, I always go back to the snow game against Costa Rica in 2013, where we sent the Costa Ricans to Colorado in January. And that's just, that's awesome. I think we should take advantage of our country's geography more for that. I expect Canada, because it would be insane for them to send us to Toronto in January, to send us to Vancouver. So I expect us to send El Salvador to somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, whether that be Portland or Seattle. I think they'll do Portland just because new MLS stadium, smaller, more intimate atmosphere where we can really take advantage of our crowd noise. For the other ones, I'd like to see some places where we're going to have true home field advantage. So Costa Rica, somewhere maybe in the Midwest, uh, Mexico, as far north as we can send them. Places like that. I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure out where exactly I want every single game. I'd like to see Atlanta get one too, but I'm not sure who would it be against. Maybe Canada would be a good one to send to Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta's quite a diverse city, so you might not get the home field advantage, at least in the crowd that you would want. Mm -hmm. But it's an absolutely beautiful stadium that would be fully sold out no matter who's playing. So I think that's a really good shout. I would love to see us play Mexico in the new Columbus Crew Stadium and yeah. re-energize re the Dosa Cero <laughs> in Ohio. That would be awesome. If we could bag a Dosa Cero against Mexico in Columbus, that would, the crew might just, the crew own ownership might just die happy. Like they just, that would be the greatest thing <laughs> yeah. they could ever ask for is to christen the new stadium with a game like that. If you haven't seen it yet, they had just closed out the stadium last night with a 2 nothing victory. And they went to the Nordec and sang Wise Men Say one last time. 
it's a really chilling video if you go and watch it. Um, really nice to see. done yet in Columbus. There's a new stadium coming. Looks really nice. So hopefully the U.S. gets to play at least a few games there in this window. Tom, are there any matches that you're most excited to watch? Which sort of matches am. really stick out to you? I actually, the first window is one that I see is a match that I'm excited for just because I want to see how we open this thing. I, I think that especially the U.S. at Honduras and the U.S. home against Canada will be really exciting matches. As far as going down the road, you can't ever discount home matches against the U.S., against Mexico and Costa Rica. And actually, the U.S. at Azteca in March will be another one that is just always a, a war and a great game to watch. I mean, last time we were there, Michael Bradley chipped Ochoa from 45 yards. So you never know what's going to happen down in the Azteca. One of my favorite goals ever from an American. Awesome goal. Awesome goal. Um, what's the realistic expectation for U.S. fans going into this? I've seen a lot of arguments about this on Twitter, and I want to go ahead and pour cool water on anyone who's expecting this to be easy for the U.S. It will not be easy at all because these windows are brutal. Playing CONCACAF away, especially in Central America, and we have to play Honduras, El Salvador, Panama, and Costa Rica away. Those are not easy games. So let's expect to probably finish towards the top of the table, but not expect to do it with 14 wins. I think realistically, seven wins and another four draws sounds like a pretty realistic take on how we expect to qualify. Win your home matches, tie your ways, and you're through to the World Cup. Yeah, so let's move on to the tournament that's coming up, the Gold Cup. The provisional roster, which was 59 players for the U.S., was released earlier this week. I think we're going to wait for the full roster to really go deep on these players and really thinking about how we're going to line up. But in the meantime, there's probably two positions that I think are really interesting, just looking at the players that Greg has called to the provisional roster. So the left back position, if you listen to our last episode, we talked a lot about George Bellow being a very obvious choice, as well as Sam Vines and Daniel Lovitz. What has occurred since that episode with the provisional roster is that the first two, George Bellow and Sam Vines, are on the roster, as well as Jonathan Gomez, who is a USL player for Louisville City. And although George Bellow and Sam Vines maybe have the better recognition and professional experience. Jonathan Gomez is making a case with his form in USL and scored a, a really nice goal last night. So I'm just trying to gather your thoughts around the left back position. I know you're an Atlanta United fan at heart. Do you think George Bello or Sam Vines have anything to worry about with Jonathan Gomez being on this provisional roster? Not yet. I don't think, I think this is another one of those sort of predatory uh, cap tie type situations where he was just named to a Mexico camp recently. I expect if there is a camp pre gold cup for him to be invited, but I don't see any way you can bring 
a USL starter with very limited match experience relatively to the Gold Cup in favor of George Bellow and Sam Vines, who are both MLS starters. I think it's an unproven prospect who actually has a really high upside and I'm really high on, but I don't know. Sam Vines and George Bellow are both starting week in and week out in MLS and playing really well. George Bellow has been one of Atlanta's best players this year. So I, I think you got to take those two, even though I would love to see Gomez enter the U.S. setup. The other position I was interested in was goalkeeper. So there's five goalies on the provisional roster. Those are Matt Turner, Brad Guzan, Sean Johnson, Bill Hamid, and Tim Melia. I'll say that five times fast again. But I do think all, all five of those have seen national team minutes in the last few years. Who do you think is kind of making the case for one, two, and three going into this camp? I think that Matt Turner, especially, we're recording this on Sunday, so we just have the New England versus New York City game fresh in our minds. He played amazing last night, had amazing saves. I think he saved a penalty, right? Saved a penalty and saved one of the most point-blank range shots <laughs> ever. Um, or I shouldn't use that word. Sorry, Matt Doyle. <laughs> it wasn't the most point range shot I've ever seen, but it was an incredible <laughs> reflex save from Matt Turner. Yeah, he, he had a great game. I, I will call Matt Doyle out on Twitter because he did say that Matt Turner is the best pure shot stopper he's ever seen in MLS. And I don't buy that at all in a league that's seen Tim Howard play multiple times. So, but he, he's making the case to be the number one throughout the gold cup for sure. Tim Melia is my surprise. Number three. I mean, even as a, a biased Atlanta United fan, I think Guzan's time with the national team is over unless they want to bring him to the World Cup in the Nick Ramondo assistant coach role. Beyond that, I, I think Tim Melia is probably the best penalty stopper in the U.S. pool, with the exception of Ethan Horvath. I think that that's the, where I'd like to see us go. But he, Melia is getting up there in his 30s and is not been a part of many U.S. setups, so he seems like an unlikely addition to the roster. I, I totally agree. Matt Turner is 26. Uh, for information's sake, Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen are both 25, so he's actually not that far away from kind of the prime age of our one and two goalies. And if you've followed soccer for a long time, you'll normally hear that center backs and goalies are the two positions where players usually reach their prime way later in age. So for a goalie, you would actually expect that they're reaching their prime at maybe 28 and 29, 30, whereas a field player might be reaching their prime around 26 or 27. So I do think Matt Turner has the time still to develop. He can go to Europe still in one of these next few transfer windows and really prove himself on the European stage. So for me, he's kind of the one goalkeeper on this roster that still has a chance at making the A-team as the third goalie. Um, I really don't think it's worth bringing Sean Johnson, Bill Hamid, Brad Guzan, any of those guys, just because they're so far away from the first team national picture, even if there may be the better of the B-team players. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that Matt Turner, for sure, before we talked about, before we talk, had the Nations League window, we were all talking about Matt Turner as a possible replacement for Stefan and could he compete with Stefan for the number one job? And then Ethan, Ethan Horvath pretty much shut us up in that window. So um, that conversation died off a little bit, but Matt Turner still has a, set, a chance to make his way onto the A team. And I expect him to start a world cup qualifier. I don't know yeah. what world cup qualifier it will be, but I expect him to start at least one. So we'll, 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 we, he's not 
played his last game for the A team. And I would like to see him go to Europe too, because I think he could really thrive there. Now, is his, is his distribution very good at all? I don't really watch a lot of the Revolution play. That's the biggest question mark, is they don't really play a possession-style game. He's not one to play it short very often. I think he had, I looked at the stats on FootMob, he had 20 long passes last night, and three of them were accurate. So he's he's probably not the best for Greg's system, but I do think he has time to learn it. And really, for a goalkeeper, you can only work within the system that your team is playing in. If your defenders yeah. aren't dropping deep and ready to receive the ball, then you're not going to play it short anyway. So I do want to see him get reps in this U.S. camp and see if he can play that way. He just doesn't for his club team. Yeah, I mean, he's he's playing for Bruce Arena right now. There's no other, no other way to say it. <laughs> yeah, Brucey Ball is not uh, what you would call tiki-taka or possession style. <laughs> So that's the Gold Cup provisional roster. Like I said, we're not going to go too crazy on this before the full roster is released. We expect to have that by the next time we record our episode five. So we'll dig a bit deeper on the Gold Cup and really go full into all of the games that the U.S. will play and trying to pick maybe a a more focused starting 11 or 23. Um, Who is your biggest surprise inclusion to the roster? Who are you most shocked to see? I'm just curious. There are a lot of names to choose from. I am most shocked to see a player that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and that player is Robbie Robinson. It's really it's really hard for me to admit someone that's just completely obsessed with the game, watches MLS and, and US soccer at every instance to not know who a player is. <laughs> and I had no idea who he is. He's he's a striker for Inter Miami. He was injured all of last season to my understanding. And he's he's good. He's not great. I don't know why he's on this roster. Like you said before we started the show, we kind of called in anyone that can kick a ball. But for me, that was the biggest surprise. Uh, someone that I had never heard of, that's probably going to pique my attention. Actually, after going back, that one shocked me too. And after going, seeing Miami play yesterday, I checked their starting 11 and he didn't even make the 18. Yeah. <laughs> like, not at all. I, so I, what are I you never, doing, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've ne- I have no idea what that call, uh, that call up was about, but it's yeah, that one was a little bit shocking. I was also a little bit shocked to see Mister Frozen out of his club team, Josie Outdoor, on the roster. Yep, there it scares me as well that there's a not zero percent chance that <laughs> Josie Altador or Giassi's artist starts a World Cup game for the U.S. in 2022. It's a very I, I small a- chance. <laughs> I it's think it's unfair zero. to compare Josie Altador and Giassi Zardes, though. I, I, I think that's doing my boy Giassi Zardes a little bit of a disservice there. Okay, so do you he think ba- that Giassi has a better chance with the A-team than Josie does? I think he does. I still think he's in the mix for the starting striker conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He, he bagged a brace last night. He is one of the most prolific goal scorers in MLS, which everyone in the U.S. fan base hates that they have to talk about him. But we do because he keeps bagging goals for Columbus and keeps showing that he deserves a chance. And when he starts for the U.S., he puts the ball in the back of the net. Sometimes completely accidentally, but it still goes in. (laughs) We like to see that. I'm most mad at Josh Sargent and PFOC for leaving the door open for these types of players. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like you said for Horvath, right? He kind of shut everybody up. 
he's locked in at least the number two spot and has made Mm -hmm. the conversation a bit more difficult to talk about number one. For our striker position, at this point, we're kind of just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks because you want to take someone that's in form, that's scoring goals with you when you're playing national games. And Josh Sargent and Pfalz didn't do that in the Nations League, and Giassi Zardes has just continued to to rip apart Major League Soccer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he knows Berhalter's system; he's familiar with it. He is a terrible possession striker, but he's a really good poacher. And yep. there's something to be said for always being in the right place at the right time, which is something I think Josh Sargent, Sargent still has not developed his sort of positional understanding of. He needs to go spend some time in San Jose with Chris Wondolowski. Do the Cade Cowell treatment. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that you asked about Josie and Giassi and we just completely ignored Josie kind of tells you everything (laughs) you need to know about his call-up. I don't think either of us expect or think he should be anywhere near this roster. He's not even playing for his club. They won't even let him train with them. I don't even think they talk to him. No, yeah, they basically said go away. Like, Chris Armas hates him. At that point, if you can't even get in your club's training ground, you don't deserve to be playing for the national team. Yeah, there's no reason he's he's anywhere near the 23 for the Gold Cup. Yeah. So, talking about the Gold Cup, we're going to wait on our final roster to get more in-depth with it. But something interesting that has started to occur is that we called in 59 players, and I think only five of them were from our Nations League roster. That's Canada correct. and Mexico provisional rosters have a lot of A-team players on them. What's what's up with Canada and Mexico potentially bringing their best players to the Gold Cup? So I think we need to throw a little bit of water on the Canada A-team roster scare that's going around. Because, yes, they did put those players in the provisional roster, but Canada's provisional roster is not as deep as the U.S.'s provisional roster. Like, if you're going to make a list of the 60 best Canadian soccer players and not include Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies, you're probably going pretty far down your bench. Whereas the U.S. has a little bit bigger of a talent pool to pull from in MLS and Europe, too. So I think that they're being included just because 60 names is a ton of names to include, and it leaves the door for them to be alternates or injury substitutions. I don't expect them to play. I would actually, frankly, be pretty shocked if either of them play. because. They just had a grueling campaign down in Central America to try and qualify for the World Cup and going back and forth between Chicago and Haiti and trying to get their team into the octagonal. So I don't expect after playing two full European seasons, an entire month of June World Cup qualifying and having preseason starting in August for Canada's manager to do anything other than give them three weeks off. It would be insane not to like if you try and call them in, you're trying to get them killed, right? Jonathan David at Lille had to go to the last game of the season with his club to win the French League. Then, like you said, go and play a grueling month of soccer to try and get Canada into the the Ocho qualifiers. Alfonso Davies is coming off a season where he's played well, but had to come back from his first real injury ever. And Mm -hmm. so I agree with you. They're more there as just in case. I, I really don't expect them to see the field in the Gold Cup or even make the final roster. But what about Mexico? Mm-hmm. You you talked a little bit about how, how we made them a bit mad. Is is their coach under pressure? What's what's up with their team bringing their best players? 
this is a great example of Mexican media has just blown the nation's league up as this huge deal. And so Tata Martino had no choice but to call in the best players and try and win the Gold Cup, which is hilarious. We really, really got under the skins of at least the Mexican media. And I think I, I tend to stay away from this part of Twitter, but I think Mexican fans have been sort of going at it with U.S. fans a lot over the last month. So props to the U.S. for forcing that decision to be made by embarrassing them at the Gold Cup or at the Nations League. Excuse me. They're good. They, they might actually call in some big names to try and go out and win the Gold Cup. But in my mind, if if they win then we can just say they had to play their A team to beat us. And if they lose, I mean, Tata's got to be gone at that point, right? It's kind of, it's kind of yeah. like they're setting themselves up to fail either way. Yeah, they're in a catch-22. There's not a really good way to win this situation besides going out and winning the Gold Cup with their B team. Because the U.S. Yeah. has said, we don't really care about winning this Gold Cup. Like, we're not going all out to win it. We are setting ourselves up for World Cup qualifying. So... I don't know. We'll bring see. your A team. It'll make for a good yeah. tournament. <laughs> It'll make for a really good tournament. I don't expect for all those Mexican players to make it, especially because so there's actually a very obscure FIFA regulation that's been coming up a lot in U.S. circles over the last few weeks. In a year where multiple continental finals occur, and the Nations League is considered a continental final, and so is the Gold Cup, European or clubs only have to release players for one of those two windows. So that Dortmund actually came out and said, Gio Reyna played at the Nations League. He is not allowed to go to the Gold Cup. Cool. We weren't going to call him up anyway. But a team like Real Betis or Napoli could say, yeah, Lozano, Linez, they're not going. Sorry. You might be trying to call them up, but we're not going to let them go. We want them in preseason. I, yeah. I expect that to happen. I am excited to see who that best player on Mexico is. I'd love to see Lozano hit the field for the Gold Cup and then the U.S. beat them, but obviously I'm I'm dreaming in the stars and yeah. in the clouds right now. There's one other team that I think is worth talking about, and that is the train wreck of the Jamaican Federation. Did they call up what would be considered an A-team? I think so, <laughs> but I think another conversation around that... Let me answer yours first. They did call up what they would consider an A-team. I think what's going to happen in the next year is Jamaica has been trying to get a lot of British Jamaican nationals to join their team. And Leon Bailey is actually one of them, but there's, there's a few others scattered throughout that could really improve the quality of this Jamaican team. And there seems to be a huge disconnect on the Federation thinking that they're going to have these players locked in for world cup qualifying and the players themselves actually committing to this team. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with Jamaica, but they have been in an absolute free fall since they beat us in, I think it was the Gold Cup. But 2015. Since then, oh man, that long. That, that, was my, that, was my first, that was my first US game I was at in person. So it was you. <laughs> but, but anyway, since that, I mean, six years, Jamaica has just decreased in quality every single time we've played them, every single time they've met a national window and it seems like the federation is trying to placate their fan base and placate their media a bit by saying hold on a second we're going to get all these great players we're going to build up our quality of the team and it remains to be seen if that's actually what's happening behind the scenes or not yeah i think so i think if they were going to get those players their best chance of actually making the world cup is putting them in the gold cup and making a run because yeah. none of these guys have ever played together before 
Most of these guys have never played a CONCACAF game. Like, throwing them in a World Cup qualifier away at El Salvador is a really brutal way to introduce yourself to the national team. Or Portland (laughs) in the U.S. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, imagine being told, hey, we're sending you to Allianz Field in Minnesota. Good luck. We talked about almost every single team being scary away. We didn't mention Jamaica once. I don't know if you noticed that. But Mm -hmm. they're, they're not what they used to be. And maybe I'll eat my words in a few months from now, but they're no longer the third or fourth scariest team to me in, in CONCACAF. On paper, they're the third best team in CONCACAF, but on paper has never translated to reality. And it's kind of frustrating. Actually, I've been calling for them to make the finals of the gold cup ever since 2015. I've been saying these guys should qualify for world cups. They're pretty good team. And it just keeps not happening. I think it's more down to coaching and organization than it is to players. And yeah, I I don't know what to expect. They're the greatest unknown in this qual in this entire like World Cup qualifying Gold Cup window because they could come out and light everyone up, or they could come out and finish bottom of the table the entire yep. time. Since the days of Dane Richards, they've been known for their speed to to hit. So they still have Kamar Lawrence, they still have Leon Bailey, they still have players that are of great quality. But mm-hmm. the team itself, the starting 11, the depth yeah. just maybe isn't where it used to be. Anything so, with Andre Blake is never going to be out of a match. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to keep it close. You can be hit on a counter. You could be hit on a, a corner kick. Anything can happen, especially in a tournament game. That's all Tom and I have before we jump into our interview with Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager. But before we dive in, I just want to thank everyone so much for listening, wherever you get your podcasts or watching on YouTube. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing with a friend or leaving a positive review as it will help immensely to grow the show. So without further ado, here's our interview with Tactical Manager. What's up, everyone? We're here with a very special guest, our first guest ever, uh, Filippo Silva, that runs the channel Tactical Manager on YouTube dedicated to U.S. soccer. Filippo, welcome to the pod. Man, after having me as a guest, I don't think you're going to want to have anyone else. Just about, <laughs> about to ruin your show today. We expect a high bar. <laughs> not a hey, bar. Jake. I was going to put the bar so low, you just wouldn't want anyone here anymore. <laughs> we'll go on yeah. It's going to be great. So, Filippo, if you could just start off by telling us and our listeners a little bit about yourself and your channel. Okay, so... Uh, Tactical Manager TV, essentially, it's what you said. We do dedicate it mostly to U.S. men's national team content. We do cover MLS, obviously, from time to time. We cover Champions League. For example, Pulisic in the final was a big deal, so we definitely covered it. South American, because I am half Brazilian as well, so I do have a big – I do follow the Brazilian League even more than MLS, if I'm going to be honest, the Brazilian League and Palmeiras and the Libertadores. So we do do that from time to time. But mostly the channel, that's essentially what it is. The main goal is U.S. We have a lot of U.S. soccer fans that are learning about the sport now. So at times you'll even see me doing a video like Nations League Explained, which anyone that watches soccer already knew what it was. But I just thought to myself, there's probably a lot of fans here that don't know. So why not? Right. So that's what the channel is essentially. I'll, there's really no buy it. Well, Bias, we all have biases, but there's no agenda. We try to be as fair as possible on it, as real as possible about it. And I think that's what people have been enjoying about it very much. Nice. Well, it definitely helps that we've been winning recently. So the biases <laughs> and the takes will, will mostly be positive. Well, you forgot we missed the qualifiers. That was one of my biggest growths. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that, that, that had to be a fun episode to do. Well, we called out all the issues. Me and Pete, were, the, re, the thing was before it happened, me and Pete from Eleven Yanks, we were calling out all the issues on that roster. Before it happened, from the provisional roster, we started calling it mm-hmm. out. And a lot of the people said we were anti-MLS, even though I work for an MLS club, but we were anti-MLS apparently. And we were haters and negative. And then after the Olympic qualifying, a lot of the people came back because it was all evident. All the issues we pointed out, the creativity in the midfield, unbalanced roster, athleticism over technical ability, terrible coaching. Everything was said before. And so the failure actually was what gave us a big bump back in March, unfortunately. Right. I wish we were. Obviously. Yes. Well, one of the questions I'm going to ask you later is what your biggest vindication is on maybe a take that wasn't taken too well by the public. So maybe you can use that as an example. Um, one of the questions that we we actually answered ourselves on the first episode, Tom and I, and what we think that first question is going to be for a lot of our guests is what's your soccer story? As in what made you fall in love with the game? So I was born in Brazil. So I know when I talk to a lot of people in the United States, they they always have a story. So you'll see, oh, that goal in the, from Josie Alto during the 2009 Confederations Cup, Clint Dempsey scoring against England, Lyndon Donovan saving us in the world. But I don't really have a story. So I was just born into soccer. I was born and my first gift was a soccer ball. And um, just, I just grew up with it. It never really, it never really was. Um, yeah, there's no story. I was just born in Brazil. And in Brazil, I think 99% of the population grows into soccer. There's a very few select that don't like it, surprisingly. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a story, uh, truly, uh, in why I love soccer. Now, I have a lot of stories in soccer. I've played academy in the United States. Uh, I even went to college for it, played the first year. Later on, obviously, now I work in Orlando City at the first soccer school. I have my own soccer company for after-school soccer programs. But the reason I fell in love for it, Brazil, man. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, it's it's a religion down there, right? Pretty much, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes a little too much. So, how did you come to follow the U.S. men's national team specifically? So, when I was four, uh, my dad came to the U.S. to do his master's degree, and and we lived in California. So, I did kindergarten in California from age four to seven. So from that time, that's why I have the 99 USA jersey um, we bought at the time. And we always liked America very much. And it was always a dream to live here and everything. So we lived three years. We went back to Brazil. And that's how I was fluent in English. And I became and ever since we kind of followed the U.S. men's national team here and there, more in World Cups for that decade. From the 2000 to 2010, mm-hmm. I would follow World Cups, Gold Cups. That's the most I would do. And, and then in 2010, uh, my dad got a job in New York and we moved to the United States. And ever since, obviously, we got the citizenship uh, became. And now when you look into my life, I've lived 14 years in the United States and 13 in Brazil. So wow. ever since I moved here, the passion for soccer. And I, I miss in Brazil how the soccer culture. That's something I miss from Brazil. We don't have this in the United States. But it, it just became so people ask me, do you have a team in Europe? Do you have a team in the MLS? Yes. So in MLS, I am Orlando City a little bit because my job and because where I live, but there's three that I really feel emotional about. And I like it. It's the U S men's national team. It's the Brazil national team and Palmeiras in South America. These are the three that when they win or lose, I truly care. Everything else. I, I, I want them to win like Manchester United. I'm a little bit of a fan Orlando city, but those are the three. And I, I don't know. It just became my country too. like Brazil. That's awesome. Great to hear. 
So when Brazil played the U.S. in the Confederations Cup final, who are you rooting for? So that one, I was rooting for Brazil. I was at Brazil at the time. Uh, I had lived in the United States for three years when I was younger, but then I I rooted for the United States to make it to the final. I rooted for the United States, and but I was rooting for Brazil on that final. And honestly, most of the time, people will see me rooting for Brazil most of the time. Uh, and the reason I say that is, for example, I'll, I'll give an example. Like 2026, if we play, if it's U.S. and Brazil, I'm rooting for the United States in 2026. I think mm. it's a big deal. The World Cup is here. We need to make it as far. Brazil has won enough, so uh, it's Brazil. But but if we play Brazil in two, um, in twenty twenty two next year, I'm going to root for Brazil because Brazil has a chance of winning the World Cup. Let's be mm-hmm. honest; the United States is not a candidate to win twenty twenty two. If we're going to be very rational about it, it's not realistic. Brazil, it is realistic to win the, the World mm-hmm. Cup. So oh, yeah, they're stacked. Yeah, the, the Brazil's bench has Real Madrid, Liverpool players. It's starting Liverpool players. So it really depends on the occasion for me. Uh, in regards to where does my heart belong, it's it's really both countries. I love both countries. Mm-hmm. But it depends. Uh, if the United States plays Copa America in 2024, I believe it's the next edition. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that, so don't, 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 don't go at me for that. But... <laughs> I think I would go for the United States because I wanted to keep it rolling in the, the country, growing the sport. And if the United States wins Copa America, oh, my goodness, it'll be something crazy for the casuals, right? The casual fans that come back in. So to me, it just people ask me, who do you cheer for? Brazil, the United States. It depends on the situation. 2009, I was Brazil. That seems a bit too rational for a U.S. soccer fan. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> Tom, do you want to take the next one? Yeah, so let's actually move on to current U.S. So- current soccer news outside of the U.S. Who are you rooting for in the Euros, and what's your take on Copa America going on right now? So in the Euros, I'm not rooting for anyone. <laughs> if anything, I'm just rooting for England not to win, but I don't even think I need to do that. Right? <laughs> uh, I don't really care who wins the Euros. I watch the games. I've watched I've been watching every single game that I can. Obviously, sometimes I'm at work, but I don't care who wins. And I don't think England will win. So in regards to Copa America, uh, you mean my thoughts on uh, who will win it? Just general thoughts on it? Yeah, general thoughts. I, I know you're rooting for Brazil, so we're, we're, we don't have to go through that. But what are your thoughts on their chances? Is there anyone who could take it down? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's very complicated to beat Brazil right now in South America. One, the Copa America has been moved to Brazil. So... Certain teams like Ecuador and Bolivia that use the altitude to get a couple wins won't happen. Mm-hmm. Brazil mm-hmm. has been very dominant ever since they won Copa America in 2019. They, Brazil won every single World Cup qualifying game, even away games against Uruguay. It was 2-0 and easy to win. It's, it, but then you go back to 2019. We lost to Argentina in a friendly. So mm-hmm. the thing is, when we play Argentina, it's always different. And they have Messi. If you get Messi on one of those days, that Messi just being Messi, anything mm-hmm. can happen. So mm-hmm. if anyone can take down Brazil, it would have to be Uruguay with Suarez on, in form in a day, Valverde doing well, Jimenez and Godin holding it back very well in the center backs. In Argentina, I, I tweeted that the other day, They're, it's a team on life support, and the name of the life support is Lionel Messi, and they'll go as far as he can take them. That, it is what it is. Yeah, that that, that seems like a fair, pretty fair take. I, I think that South America kind of is in a bit of a decline right now seems like a lot of teams are down besides Brazil. Well, it's not that that's the thing that people get misled. So it's a it's on a decline if you look back in it's it's not really a decline, you know, because what happened is 
you go back to 2010 and 2014, Brazil went down a little bit. Brazil was mm-hmm. lower in 2018. Brazil was still recovering. 2018, Brazil was still lower. And these mm-hmm. other Chile, Uruguay, um, even Argentina, they were all in that level of Brazil. So I think they're kind of like in the same level, just the players are older. So that generation definitely went down a notch. But Brazil mm-hmm. being actual World Cup contending team, which if we're quite honest, the 2010 team was not a World Cup contending team. 2014 was not as well. It's just because we hosted it. 2018 also we were not a World Cup contending, but now the team looks a lot better. And mm-hmm. if you go back in the, the two, early 2000s, 90s, 80s, South America pretty much only had Brazil and Argentina. Okay, 90s, we did have Colombia. That was pretty good, actually. But these other teams actually were much better than normal in 2014. Chile, Colombia, mm-hmm. much better than normal. Chile actually mm-hmm. had a very good generation that won two Copa mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's actually declining. I think it's just going through a transition. And Brazil is going back to being the powerhouse. Argentina had that when Diego Maradona retired as well. And then they got a good generation. But... I don't think it's actually declining. I think that's a little bit misleading. A lot of people believe that because they're they're going through the recent teams in 2014, for example. Mm-hmm. Just reverting back to the normal state of things in South America. Yeah, Brazil has been. I know Brazil hasn't won many Copa Americas. Brazil never cared about the Copa America. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Ever since Brazil started caring, they won most. Mm-hmm. That that's fair. Yeah, it feels like the internet, the confederation tournaments have a little bit mixed on who, what teams actually care, what teams sort of send full squads yeah. to them. Well, in Brazil, too, it's also unfair when we compare Brazil to the other South American nations because, remember, Brazil is almost as big as all of them combined in population size. If you get a, a South American national team, put Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia, all of them combined, it's a heck of a team, too. Yeah, that, that's a good point. There's some still some really good players across the continent, which will be a really make for a really exciting summer of watching the Copa America. That's one of my favorite tournaments to watch. Yeah. Awesome. Now, okay. speaking of confederational tournaments, Jake, should we turn our attention to the U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup? Definitely. I'll let you take that. Sure. So, what are you most looking forward to in the Gold Cup? So, uh, we need to see who Bearhalter is going to call up before we we say any of that. So in regards to the U.S., uh, I'm looking forward to him bringing some young guys to test them out, right? We have problems in certain positions. We haven't found out a nine, so I'm looking forward to him maybe putting Daryl DK or Hoppy to be tested, even though I had sources tell me that Matthew Hoppy has been used as a winger for Bearhalter. Yes, yes, I know. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> for anyone listening, I just shook my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen, but if it does, you're all you've all been warned. So I've been looking forward to him testing young guys, maybe see a little bit of Gianluca Busio, what he can do in the sixth position, even though he's a lot different from Tyler Adams, not very defensive as Tyler. But I, I want to see that. I don't want to go to Gold Cup and see him put Jassi Zardes, which we know what he can offer, which is almost nothing at this point. Um, Roldan, uh, I don't want to see Legette again. We've seen Legette. I know, I know he can be okay for the US, but we've seen it. We don't need to test him. We know what he can mm. do. Uh, maybe bring in Miles Robinson. Give Cameron Carter-Victors a chance, for Christ's sakes. It's about time. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Bear Halter testing new guys to fill in the gaps of the issues with our first team. Six backup, center forward, depth. That's essentially what it is. Yeah. So let's take that six backup question and roll it into Tyler Adams. So if we're talking about the A team, the true starting eleven. And Tyler Adams is out. 
How do you think the U.S. men's national team should handle that? Is it a formation change or is it a personnel change? So we don't know that because Berhalter hasn't tried anything besides Acosta and Yule, which we know it doesn't work. We know what doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing is a formation change. We saw Berhalter, Berhalter try that once against Northern Ireland, remember? He did a 4 3 one and he even claimed he tried that because we didn't have a true six. I think Leggett uh, played the the false nine in that game. Northern I- no, 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 not Northern Ireland. Oh, I'm thinking of Wales. 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 Yeah, Wales. yeah. Northern Ireland, we played with um, Siabachu or Pifunk, whatever his name is. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So he has tried it before. So maybe one option is a formation change. We don't play with a, a true six, but two eights that can defend an attack. The other option that I've been trying to say, but he hasn't tried is maybe see how Yunus Musa does as a six. Give it a shot. See what he does. Or even against Northern Ireland, we saw a little bit of De La Torre playing a six. I liked it. Obviously, it wasn't the best test, but I would like to see that again. But we don't know. We just know what doesn't work. And Jackson, you and Kellen Costa don't work. We've seen that. I, honestly, you can do two eights and they can defend an attack. We, I've seen that with Brazil in the past when we had Marcelo on the left back and Dest. Not Sorry, not Dest. Danny Alves. Um, but yeah. he wants to go for a formation change. And we've seen him try it also against Mexico. He did that against mm-hmm. Mexico, surprisingly. Uh, didn't work. We won, but it wasn't really the best, the formation-wise. He even changed it later in the game to 4 mm-hmm. 3 But yeah, he needs to try something different. Stop putting Jackson. You'll stop putting Kyle Costa. We've seen it doesn't work. I, I like the idea of Yunus Musa at the 6-2. It definitely would be a really interesting experiment. I think he would do pretty well there. It wouldn't be an Adams-type 6, but we should at least try it. He's such an athletic guy and such a good player that it, it's worth a shot. He might even connect the ball better than Adams. Maybe defensively he won't, but bringing the ball up, he's better than Adams maybe. Him, he's Taylor maybe a Pantale. better passer than you. Way better. <laughs> Busio as well. Like all of them can can hold the ball, turn, and, and bypass some defenders. Mm-hmm. All right, so Gio Reyna, is he a true winger or should we use him as a number 10? So it's what we say in the channel quite a bit, and me and Pete say this a lot. It's good players will play wherever you put them, right? Mm-hmm. If you, people talk about Gio's a false knight, I'm not a fan of it. It probably wouldn't work well, but he would perform. He's just a quality player. He'll find a way to play. So if you put him in the wing, he'll do well. But if you look at the plays on every game, you can see Gio Reyna. His best is every time he tucks in. He goes middle, and then he creates. He never goes down the lane a cross that's not what he does so his plays come through the middle so if you have him at the 10 right because when Reyna's playing on the right wing uh and he comes middle you lose that right winger you don't have a right winger so essentially he's creating for Christian Pulisic on the left wing and whoever's playing center forward which most of the time was Josh Sargent now if you have him playing as a 10 and he's bringing the ball up now you have a right winger option which can be Tim Weah it can be maybe Yunus Musa can play wide he's played in Valencia like that so he has three options. He'll create more. So I think he's a 10. I think – and even he even could play as a very offensive eight. I don't want him to have many defensive duties. But I think Reyna should play central. Yeah. yeah. We've even seen him play left wing back for Dortmund last year as well. So it was quite weird. versatile. It was. It was weird, yeah. yeah. And, and in the very beginning of the season. So it hasn't yeah. been for a long time. But All right. Uh, Tom, do we have any other U.S. – uh, questions before we go to the speed round? Yeah, my last question was, let's say, hypothetically, 
Burhalter were to get fired right before a World Cup qualifier and they tagged you in and said, You're, you can call whoever you want. You can create whatever formation you want. What formation are you going with and who's your starting 11 for a must win World Cup qualifier? Okay, so if I get in an emergency situation, I'll go for three, four, two, one, actually. That's how I would play right now. I made a post about that the other day, quite explaining it, somewhat similar to how Chelsea plays essentially. We would go three, four, uh, three, four, two, one, very compact. And I don't know if you guys can hear the storm here. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Anyone listening? That's Florida storm, man. It's summer. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but yeah, so I would go for three, four, two, one. Uh, I need it. Let me try to remember from the top of my head. Uh, goalkeeper, I'm okay with Stefan. I'm okay. I'm okay with Ethan Horvath. And guys, I'm alive. Don't worry about that. Ethan Horvath can go as well. So the three in the back I would go with is John Brooks. I would probably put him central. I would put Chris Richards as a left center back and Mark McKenzie as the right center back. The two the two players I would put in the middle would be Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. Um, Adams with a little bit more defensive duties. They would both be playing essentially as box to box. On the left, I would go with Robinson. Dest on the right. The two attacking midfielders would be Christian Pulisic and Reyna. And up top, right now I probably would still go with Josh Sargent, but I'm not opposed to trying a different guy. I didn't like what I saw from him. Can be Daryl DK. I didn't like Siabacho either or P-Funk, whatever his name is now. I didn't like it either. So Sargent or DK at this point would probably be the two best options, even though I do have issues with DK's technical ability right now. Interesting. I, I think that that's a good lineup and, you know, I think plays to the strengths of a lot of our players. So, yeah, the striker is an issue, but I, I like that. I think that's an interesting way to play and would like to see it more. I, I was just thinking about that formation and almost trying Tyler Adams as an N'Golo Conti type and be really interested to see how that would go. Worked for Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You OK to continue, Filippo, with the storm? So, oh, the storm. Guys, and I'm really sorry. You guys are gonna have to deal with this storm for. A, I can a edit while. it out. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's Florida, Florida uh, during the summer every time. But back to what I was saying. So on our defensive shape, essentially, that team would be a five, five four, pretty much one. That's the defensive shape, right? And we want to go very compact, force the opposition to the sides, and then you press when they're at the sides. I, it's very hard to play against that formation. You saw it with Chelsea all season long. So that's what I would do, essentially, with that. And no, I wouldn't put Tim Way as a nine. I don't think Tim Way is a nine. Yeah. I think that's that's the right call there. Definitely a good lineup. I think a lot of people would be very happy with that. But Greg Bearhalter is our coach, so we got to go with what he says for the, the time being. And he ain't getting fired. He ain't getting fired. <laughs> no, he's also not going to play a 3-4-2-1. So. <laughs> all right. So for this last segment, we're going to do a speed round of player ceilings. So we're going to throw out a name of a U.S. player, and you're going to come off the top of your head with the player that you think they could match their ceiling. So if we said Tyler Adams, you might say Yasuo Kimmich if you thought he was going to be that good at some point. Um, we're going to skip Tyler for now since we just gave you that option. But does that sound good? Do you kind of understand yeah, we're yeah. To... I'll try to think as fast as I can. And um, uh, so you want me to say the ceiling of the player? So how far I think he can make it? Yeah. Okay. I can try to think. Let's see if I can think fast. Two names real quick. <laughs> All right. Let's try. This is let's like try. an IQ test for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's try one. So 
Weston McKinney is up first. Weston McKinney's ceiling to me, uh, I don't know if many of you remember, but Paulinho that played for Tottenham, Brazilian national team, I think that's where he could be similar. Later on, Paulinho got a little heavy, didn't cover as much ground, but I think that's a level that he can reach, and that's a pretty good level. Wouldn't be, I don't think he'll ever reach world class. I think that's a realistic one. Yeah. All right. Caden Clark. Caden Clark. So Caden Clark, I think, and look, sometimes I'll give some examples that you guys might not, not, um, this is your time. <laughs> I think realistically, Caden Clark can be like Jorge Valdivia that played for Chile at their golden generation. That was their 10. He was their 10. And he was a very good player, very injury prone. And if you guys look back on that Chile team, he was the 10 of a team with Vidal, Alexis Sanchez, and he was a key player of that team. So very high quality player. Injuries held him back a little bit. That would be a realistic goal for Caden Clark, which is pretty damn good. Now, if he exceeds expectations, he could be a world-class player if he exceeds expectations. And and then you can even compare maybe to a central midfielder like Modric, maybe. That, that, wow. that, but that's, look, look, but that's, that's, all, that's not the realistic <laughs> that's one. The so people don't think, yeah, people are going to say, you're overhyping the kids. Like, no, I'm saying Valdivia. You guys asked me for a ceiling, and I said if he develops, maybe Modric. But Jorge Valdivia seems pr- pretty reasonable. I mean, if we get prospects that are that good, I'm going to take it every single day of the week. Yeah. Well, I mean, Valdivia won Copa America with Chile. Yeah. That, I mean, if we have players who are playing at that level, then we're going to be a force in CONCACAF. So I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Let's now go to Cade Cowell, sticking with similar names. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because I need to see – I need to see a lot of technical development in Caden Clark. He's a grown man at age 17. It's amazing the athleticism he has. And and some things that are underrated from him is his crossing ability. I think eventually he'll become a winger. Man, a ceiling for Kate Cowell. That's a that's a tough one for me. I don't know who to I don't know who to compare him with. He's very unique, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. he's a very American player, much more athletic than any <laughs> soccer player I know. Uh, <laughs> tactically disciplined does have to improve hold up game tech can I skip on this one yeah, yeah we'll, I, I think that's valid <laughs> yeah player for Cade Cowell yeah I honestly no one comes to mind of where his ceiling is I, I Cade Cowell is either that player that's going to explode or he's going to be maybe he's either going to explode and go to Europe and be something very very good or he's going to be like Jordan Morris which is not bad too it's not bad. shots fired yeah. It's not even good. <laughs> Morris is great. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. quality it's a mm-hmm. good level. Yeah. Being a high quality MLS player who studied under Wondolowski is it's a great career. Like that, yeah. that's nothing to sneeze at. I think he'll be better than Jordan Morris, but I think if he doesn't develop the technical aspect of his game, that's probably the level he'll reach. Yeah. Yeah. You need that passing ability, that ability to dribble. Otherwise you're going to get eaten alive. If you try your, mm-hmm. All right, so Brendan Aronson's next. Hmm. So Brendan, so I, I, I don't think Brendan has the ceiling that many U.S. fans think he has. I think he'll be absolutely fantastic. And I compared not his ceiling. I don't think his ceiling. The playing style reminds me of Kakai at times in a much lower level. Obviously, the playing style. In regards to ceiling, let me try to think of a player that I can think of. Brendan Aronson, one player that I can think of. Okay, I think his top ceiling that I can see Brendan Harrison reaching is Oscar that used to play for Chelsea, the Brazilian attacking midfielder. Okay. And he used mm-hmm. to play wide as well. So his top mm-hmm. ceiling, I think that's what he can reach. A realistic one, nothing comes to mind right now. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, though, on the U.S. fans saying he should start. He's better than Pulisic. Like, he's mm-hmm. got this really high ceiling. I, I think that we're reading too much into a few friendly appearances. So I, I think that that realistic ceiling is – or the realistic player is a little bit better of an approximation for him. So well, it might be lower than that. Oscar. The realistic might be lower than Oscar because Oscar's a high-quality yeah. player. But I think mm-hmm. Oscar has a fair ceiling, the top that he can reach. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think he's actually going to reach that ceiling personally, so I think I'm on the no. same wavelength with you. Um, next up, I think we've got Jackson Yule throw a curveball at you. <laughs> I think Jackson Yule's ceiling is Jackson Yule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's 24. He's yeah, he's 24. He's a solid How MLS player. Is he going to improve? How much more is he going to improve? A little bit? I think that's it. <laughs> He's a good yeah. MLS player. He's not the guy to go to Europe. No, he's a good MLS player. Mm-hmm. When when I was making the list of these players' names, I legitimately thought that that could be an answer for Jackson Newell. <laughs> so you hit the nail on the head. You and I were same wavelength. <laughs> Another name that comes to mind is like a Dax McCarty type. Don't hate on Dax. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all my Nashville friends who are way too high on Dax McCarty. <laughs> All right, right. so I think Daryl DK is next. Hmm. Uh, That's an interesting one, Daryl DK. Uh, Daryl DK. What would be a realistic um, achievement for Daryl DK, being realistic? Josie Altador. That's realistic. People think, oh, no, he's the next Lukaku. Look, Lukaku is very technical. People don't understand that. Lukaku is actually very, very technical. Just because he can't do fancy tricks in tight spaces – he can protect the ball well. He has a good first touch, good crosses, good assisting, very good finisher, very good at his positioning. I think Daryl DK's realistic is Josie Altador. Maybe he can be a little bit better because I think he has a much better attitude than Josie has. And he seems to be more focused. He'll be healthy. That's what it looks like. So I think he can be a better version of Josie Altador, which for the U.S. men's national team would be very good. I know I, I'm hard on Josie Altador, but yeah, he was the best striker we had for a while. He was the mm-hmm. best striker we had. And I don't think he was a fantastic player, but he wasn't bad. And if DK can be Josie, but a little bit better, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I mean, Altador is the third top scorer all time for the U.S. men's national team. So if we have someone who can reach that ceiling, like that's that's enough to win some tournaments for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Especially in CONCACAF. Yeah. yeah. If, if yeah. any of our players are scoring 30 goals in the Dutch league, I think we'd all be quite happy putting yeah. them at the nine. Well, and especially coming into a lot of CONCACAF tournaments, a player like DK is not going to be bullied off the ball like a Christian Pulisic does in a CONCACAF game. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so one last one. Yes, our last one is Ethan Horvath. Mm, it's a tough one because, you see, we're, we're I feel like that was an point. ominous... <laughs> like, yeah, what are just, you about to say about uh, Ethan Horvath? Ethan Horvath. Like, <laughs> Ethan Horvath. Our Lord and Savior, Ethan Horvath. But so it's a tricky one because we live in times in soccer right now, which the goalkeeper position, almost every national team has a good goalkeeper. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy how it's a position that has developed so much, and goalkeepers now are good at their feet. They're athletic, they're technical, their agilities up there, reflexes. So it's a time that we have too many goalkeepers. And most like you look in Brazil too. I was thinking of Brazil right now. They have Allison and Ederson. It's it's crazy. Uh, so 
what is his ceiling? I don't know because goalkeeper, it's the type of thing that, uh, like, for example, Brazil, if you replace Allison with Ethan Horvath, do you think the team gets that much weaker? It doesn't. No, no, doesn't. not really. It gets, weaker. it gets weaker, obviously. I think Allison is mm. better. But it's not like it's like, okay, now Brazil is done. It's like, no, it's not that much of a gap, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's very hard to do a goalkeeper ceiling nowadays. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What to say. Uh, can he be better than Tim Howard? Probably not. I don't think he'll be better than Tim Howard. Uh, on the shot-stopping ability with his feet, he could be better. Probably already is mm-hmm. maybe. But I don't know. What I do don't you, think maybe. What do you think of his distribution compared to Stefan? Better. It was better, at least for these these games that we've seen. Uh, Switzerland, uh, Costa Rica in uh, 45 minutes they played, I think, against Mexico. He was better than mm-hmm. Stefan with speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is surprising given where Stefan plays, but I guess being on a bench is not really that helpful to improving your distribution. Oh, you, you got it. But then Ethan Horvath was at the bench as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. All right, so... We're going to stop you there, Filippo. No more zingers or curveballs of the Cade Cowell Jackson Ewell variety. Um, but now it's your time. I just want to give you the platform to talk about maybe what's next for the channel. What are you working on? And just tell the people what's what's up with you. Uh, there's, there's not that many crazy updates, to be honest. I'm here more to enjoy the talk. And every time I can also help any channel starting, you guys just started here, which is awesome. It just shows that people are interested in soccer. There's not much to promote. Same old thing. I'll be there doing my takes, uh, bringing on players. Uh, by the time you release this episode, the most recent interview, I have Julian Araujo coming up. Uh, but that's about it. That's about it. There's no not many updates. You know, I'll be causing some trouble on Twitter here and there. Brent Wall is making some L tree fans mad. Yeah, but apparently, and look at that. Look at that. The, it, that's the lightning telling me to stop this tweet. Stop it. Brent Wall already got off at me and, and argued back and forth with me 20 messages or so, which was weird to see. Uh, Taylor Twelman had blocked me, but he unblocked me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe what's next to me is to try to piss off Matt Boyer, but that's very hard. <laughs> he's a very calm guy. Yeah, yeah. He he's, he, I, I like I, that's what I like about Matt Doyle. It, it, he he knows how to keep his cool. He's very good at his responses. Uh, his responses are as good as his takes are bad. I would say that. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that for sure. <laughs> what what a diplomatic sentence. <laughs> but that's nice. all. There's no no more no, no surprises at the channel. Great. Well, we just want to thank you so much for being our first guest. I don't think you set the bar too low. We'll see what everyone <laughs> thinks. Um, but no, really, thanks for the time. Thanks for uh, taking the, the questions from us. And we'll let you go so you can catch the France-Germany game. Thank you very much for having me, by the way, as yeah. the first guest, actually. Yeah, awesome. thanks so much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com.
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.